Hello, and before we start today's show, I just wanted to ask you all for a big favour. So in only a few short months, we've built up a really good following for this show, and we're really grateful for that, it's been fantastic. But for 2019, we want to try and increase our listener numbers as much as we can, so we'd really appreciate your help. So first of all, we'd be really grateful if you could tweet or let people know about the show, and sort of maybe include a link to the website at www.sidehustlesuccesspodcast.com. But also it'd be really good if you could rate us on your podcast player. So if you use iTunes, Stitcher, or any of the other um, podcast playing services, if you could leave a rating on there if you like the show, and perhaps leave a review. So let us know what you like, what you don't like. Is there a particular subject you want us to cover? Yeah, we will go and read all the reviews. So that would just be something that would be really helpful if you could help us out with. And uh, with that, let's start the show. Welcome to the Side Hustle Success Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Haunts, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Taylor. This is a show for anyone who has a product or business idea and wants to go full-time on it eventually, or maybe you already have. This is a show about product design, entrepreneurs, freelancers, contractors, free agents, digital nomads, and anything in between. In this episode, we will be interviewing Troy Hunt, who is a Pluralsight author, cybersecurity expert, and the founder of HaveIBeenPwned.com. Hello and welcome back to the Side Hustle Success Podcast and I'm here again in Minnesota at the NDC Minnesota Conference. It's the last day of the conference so I can kind of sit back and relax a bit today because my speaking commitments were completed yesterday. Uh, I'm joined by uh, a special guest today who is probably quite familiar with a lot of our uh, listeners. It's the man from down under himself, Mr. Troy Hunt. <laughs> Thanks, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Glad to be done with all my speaking commitments uh, other than this one, <laughs> which is fine. You get to relax a bit today, and then, then you're off to what New York tomorrow. Yeah, New York tomorrow. So I go and do the uh, the workshop thing all over again, Monday and Tuesday, and then some uh, some pro-sighting conferency things on Wednesday, and then back to the other side of the world again. Yeah, it's uh, Australia. That's quite hard to get to anywhere, isn't it? Oh man, <laughs> this trip it took me 30 hours door to door. It was just just insane. Like airplane went to take off, and then I went, nah, we're going to get back. And then we sat on the tarmac for two oh, hours, no. and and then it's, it's three flights anyway. And just that friction of boarding a plane and disembarking. And anyway, I'll be over the jet lag by the time I go home. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, then do I, it all again. I've, I've been to Australia once, and that nearly killed me. That flight. That was. I've it's. Never, I've never experienced anything like that before. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what we like to do on this show then, when we interview people, is it's uh, to talk about kind of your story. Yeah. You know, how you got to doing what you're doing and we, we, we do have a common link because Troy is also a Pluralsight author as well which is kind of how we met yeah. what four years ago something like that yeah. yeah so yeah if you want to sort of tell us you know who you are and what you do yeah well uh, I oh boy where do we start so I have a, a software development background uh, I guess probably like many listeners so I, I spent many, many years doing uh, the usual sort of development thing. I was working for Pfizer, actually, a big... Um, if you don't know who Pfizer is, you know who Viagra is, or what Viagra is, so we made Viagra. That's their uh, innovation, is it? Yeah, so that, that was their thing. I mean, amongst other things like Lipitor and Zoloft and other just massive blockbuster drugs, so they're a, they're a huge multinational. So I spent about 14 years in total there after having other 
various roles, uh, other various jobs. And then in Pfizer, I was a, a software developer and, and then went through that weird career thing many tech people go through where they go, ah, oh, you're, you're a good developer. If, if you want to climb the ladder, you've got to stop developing. <laughs> you know, you've got to be an architect. <laughs> so, well, but I like software development. Right. Okay. Uh, anyway, so I, I sort of did that. And then uh, whilst I was at, at Pfizer, sort of began my own side hustle with the, uh, the Pluralsight stuff. So do you want me to delve into Pluralsight? <laughs> where yeah, where should I mean, we go I mean, with this? I mean, I guess your story is kind of very similar to mine. So was you doing Pluralsight kind of as a side thing in the evenings? Yeah, so Pluralsight was, in, in, in fact, sort of thinking about side things. I guess it was, it was about 10 years ago. It must be almost 10 years to the day, actually, that I started a blog. And um, I sort of started at the prompting of someone else at work, one of the other guys who, who had one as well, and he... It never went any further than sort of a hobby for him. Hmm. But uh, I started because I, I had stuff to say. <laughs> and I, I started writing. So in fact, interestingly, the first ever blog post I wrote was about why online identities are smart career moves. And I, I had none at the time. But I'd be interviewing people and I could just not find any trace of these people anywhere online. There was no LinkedIn. There was no Stack Overflow. There was no open source contributions. Never spoken anywhere. They just... Hmm just ghosts and <clears throat> I guess it was the, the sort of the case with most people particularly at the time but the, the thing that I sort of lamented is every time I'd go and interview one of these people they'd send in the CV and the CV is like yeah I'm awesome I do all these great things and I'd be like well but are you <laughs> you know and how can you prove it <clears throat> yeah how can yeah. you prove it like I, I mean you, you'd go through and do various assessments and things like this with them to try and gauge competency but all of those are a little bit contrived and there's sort of very unnatural environments to, to, to do those things in so they'd, they'd sort of say, oh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll connect you with my references and they can vouch for me. I was like, well, you chose them. <laughs> they're all, they're all going to be good, right? Hmm. Well, they're all going to say you're good. So it wasn't really, uh, it wasn't really a, a good way of independently assessing people. And I thought, look, the same thing applies for me, really. Like if I go out there and I wasn't looking for another job at the time, but if I did... You know, I'd be having the same discussion, right? It was, I, I really didn't have an online presence. Not much, anyway. So uh, that sort of started me blogging and that gradually led into, in, into uh, writing very security-related content. Uh, that led to getting the Microsoft MVP status in 20... Was that, was that a conscious move to go into security or, was it, or did you just... No, it was, it was pretty organic, and actually. And it, it was... Pretty much everything, and I'm sure you, this will be a theme as, as we do this podcast, but everything has been organic and just a, a reaction to the to, to the environment at the time. Uh, and, and the security thing was basically because we had all this software being built externally. Pfizer outsourced everything in Asia-Pacific, and it all went to very low-cost markets with, frankly, very low-competency developers because we went to the cheap end. And we just saw so much terrible software coming back. Right. and loads of security flaws. So I'd, uh, I'd sort of, rather than try and deal with every single one of these individually, I'd, I'd refer them to blog posts. So I'd, I'd write something uh, and I'd have to make it very generic, obviously, and not talk about Pfizer. But uh, one of the things I wrote was the OWASP top 10 for ASP.NET developers, which was basically, uh, here, is, here is how to not have security flaws in your .NET apps. Right. And as I started writing that, it, I, I guess the security side of things just got more traction. Uh, Microsoft popped up and gave me the MVP award in 2011 and it was like, wow, someone's actually 
sort of paying attention to this. Uh, now I've got this award, I better go and do some speaking. Yeah. <laughs> so led to that. And, and, and all of that then sort of led into Pluralsight because it's like, wow, I've actually got some good material now in, in blog format, which I make absolutely zero dollars for. Yeah. And it's been a lot of effort. And, you know, it's been fun, but really hasn't had a return. Yeah, let's go and actually capitalize on that which is what led to Pluralsight. And, and to your, your point earlier on, yeah, it was nights, weekends, holidays, uh, every time I was sitting on a plane editing videos, uh, but just copious amounts of work trying to squeeze every spare second. Yeah, I mean, it's something I've talked about on the podcast before, because I've had people say to me before, oh, it's you know, such an easy life you've got there. You do these courses and then you earn passive royalties from it. It's like, it may look like that from the outside, but when you actually see how much effort and work actually goes into building these courses, it's like, writing a book then recording a documentary <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably a fair analogy yeah i mean you've you obviously have gone through the same process where it's particularly for plural side it's it, it's got to be detailed and it's got to be correct and spot on and you know i saw your mouse flick for yeah, 100 milliseconds just there <laughs> like can you mm. take the mouse out all this sort of thing so it's it, it is really detailed work um and looking back on it now it's it's probably some of the hardest work i've done i think it's mm. uh, it, it's just so many hours committed. After my first course, I nearly gave up. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. I, was, I, was, I was just like, that was way more effort than I was expecting. It was my wife who said, well, no, you've done one. Do another one, you lazy sod. <laughs> you <laughs> needed okay. a bit of prompting. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. My first course, uh, even to this day, and, and this is a course I started back in 2012, to this day remains my number one income earning course by a really significant margin. So oh, I was lucky okay. to... To, to sort of get a good taste for it with the first one. Uh, now, unfortunately, I've never been able to reproduce that success, <laughs> but, but that sort of kept me going and drove me to do more of them. Uh, maybe if, I, if I'd had mediocre success or little success on the first one, it might be a very different story today. Hmm. Yeah, because all of your course content is sort of very much in the security area, isn't it? So that's kind of the, the niche that you've yeah, most of I it. I guess dominated in a way. Most of it. I, I did do one on Azure, uh, Azure for the American listeners, <laughs> and I did uh, I did a couple of play-by-plays that were softer skills or, or other technologies as yeah. well. So these are the ones where you sort of sit there and, and look at someone else and you're literally on video. So, uh, it, you know, I did a, a, a career building one with Lars Clint, for example. Mm. So, you know, there's a little bit of variety in there, but I've, I have found that security has just sort of been the niche that, that I've gravitated towards, and that's, that's where the demand has been, and inevitably that's, that's what I've become known for. Yeah, because I, I took a, a different strategy, because um, I've got a mixture of software development courses. Some of them are security-related, uh, but not in a way that we're competing, so that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so some are security related, some are software development, but I've also done quite a lot of um, soft skills as well. So I've tried to kind of diversify yeah, yeah. the subjects I do and pick more greenfield subjects. Yeah, right. So I know some people have done, you know, very cutting edge latest technology courses and then they've had to replace them two or three yeah, months later. That's the thing, like the, the evergreen stuff, uh, like soft skills, they're going to... Yeah. You're certainly going to have more lifespan out of them. I, I guess it's a question of how well they do within that lifespan as well. I, I imagine that some of the, the cutting-edge courses probably get massive views very early on. Yeah. And maybe that then justifies the, the shorter tail of royalties that it might have. So how many courses have you got in the library now? I think it's about 50. 50? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I feel inferior now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in, in fairness as well, that's probably about half of them are traditional courses 
so you know maybe there's 25 fragrance state courses I've, I've sort of sat down and invested the, the copious number of, mm. of hours in i have done a bunch of play-by-plays uh last year i did four uh what did we call them um creating a security centric culture courses where it's it's like okay. video on me and i didn't have to do the editing i just had to write it record it send it off so you know not quite as much work there but part of that as well has just been me sort of finding what's the what's the right sort of thing to invest my time on now as as I've progressed with my independence and as the the ROI on things sort of changes as well. So at what point did you make the decision to leave your job and then, then go full time? Oh, when they got rid of me. <laughs> oh, right, so is it yours was through redundancy, was it? Yes. Okay. Oh, that was a joyful time. Oh, look, I, um, I actually really, really hated my job the last particularly the last 12 months I was there, um, probably the last two years in general, I got a, in fact, this would be a fun story for people thinking about getting out of their jobs. I I pretty much had the same boss for about 13 years. And then I got a new boss, which was, and I'm trying to think of the chronology now. I got a new boss early 2014. And uh, this was a guy in, in the Philippines and I was based in Sydney. So I was reporting offshore, a bunch of us in Sydney reported into this guy. And you look right off the bat, you're going to have cultural differences, right? I mean, it's, it's a very, yeah. uh, very different culture over there. Uh, and one of the things I always found, I'd, I used to go to the Philippines quite a bit, it was things like I'd go there and, and everyone was like super friendly and lovely. And you'd walk around and they're all sort of saying, hi, Sir Troy, how are you, Sir Troy? I saw Wow, okay, that's, uh, that's, that's very very formal. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like a knight or something like that. Uh, so there's, and, and uh, this is often true in, in Asian cultures generally, but there's a very clear sort of social hierarchy. Um, now, I was never going to call him sir. <laughs> it's like Australia is probably one of the most casual places in the world. Yeah. And I don't know that he actually wanted to be called sir, but I, I guess the point is, is that for us back in Australia, regardless of your seniority, we would treat each other much more on the same level. Um, so I suspect that he found me quite brash and direct and, and right, everything else. Yeah, okay. uh, I had a, a run-in with him really early on where I was I was scheduled to speak at uh, Code Mania in New Zealand. Uh, and this must have been about March or April 2014. And uh, I'd, I'd agreed on this with the previous boss. Yep, I'm going to take the time off, you know, go to New Zealand, do the talk, etc. And uh, as the, the time started approaching, the new boss said, I want you to come to Manila for, for a meeting. And it conflicted. It conflicted with the Code Mania talk. And so I said, well, you know, as, as you know, I'm going to be in New Zealand doing the thing that we all agreed on. And he, he sort of said, oh, no, look, I'd really like you to come. Uh, and I sort of said, well, I, I, I can't. It's, yeah, people are literally buying tickets to this thing in part because I'm one of the speakers there. Right. And his, his reply, and, and I will always remember this one, is he said, the only priority is the company. And I was like, all right, let me tell you how this is going to work. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> this is not going to happen. Now, it did end up actually going to the Philippines, flying out early. Flight was delayed a little bit as well and ended up arriving at this two-day event at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday, uh, just in time to do my keynote, just angry as hell that, that I'd yeah, gone through this. Went back to the office. Uh, the next week, I went to HR and just went, okay, look, give me the paperwork. I'm done. I'm fed up with this. And then I looked at it and went, oh, well, if they, uh, if they ask me to leave, <laughs> then I actually get some money. <laughs> because if I walk out on my own, I'm going to get nothing. Now, you know, I get my holiday leave and that sort of stuff. Yeah. But uh, 
after that, he didn't really talk to me anymore. <laughs> I literally went almost the entire remainder of the year not talking to the guy. Uh, so, so the problem kind of went away. And then I got to, to 2015, went into the office, uh, and then one week after Christmas, they, they made four of us redundant, um, which was fantastic. So rather than walking out with, with just about nothing... I bet you were trying very hard not to sit there with a massive grin on your face. Well, Because for everyone else, it's probably you know, very stressful. Well, th this is exactly what happened. So, we, and I think this is probably really relevant to people with interest in their show. I got this meeting invite, and it just had a really interesting selection of people on it. And the, the title of it was something like Updates. It's like, ah, oh, this looks yeah, interesting. That's code word for this looks you're interesting. out on your ass. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder. <laughs> so anyway, I go into this meeting room and there would have been oh, probably around eight or nine people in the room. My boss was on the phone. His boss was on the phone as well. The most senior person in, in the room was, was a lady who headed up the technology department in Australia. Uh, she was crying and I was like, oh, <laughs> so, so I see where this is going. There's other people sort of looking ashen faced. And the, the way they ended up doing it is they said, um, here's, a, here's a slide, which is the org chart now. And there's, there's like names on all the boxes. Uh, and here's a slide, which is the org chart in the future. And there's just roles and there's less boxes. And it was it, like there was no HR or anything like that there. And it was very vague, and I really clearly were they, recall... Were they just trying not to directly say it? Yeah, they were really trying not to directly yeah. say it. But as we've already established, I'm a lot more direct. So I literally said to, to my boss on the phone, I was like, can we just be clear, are you making roles redundant? You know, and they're like, oh, yes. And, and I, I had to say, look, I'm fine with this, just so you know. <laughs> and inside, I'm just going, oh, I'm not dancing, you know, it was, it was hilarious. <laughs> Um, and when, when it all came out on the wash, a combination of uh, the fact that the redundancy provision was quite good, I'd been there a long time, the, uh, what were the other things? I, I, you get um, very favourable tax situations as well uh, for redundancy payments. Okay. So it worked out the equivalent of about two years worth of work uh, in pay that they, yeah. they paid out. So it's like, well, I get to leave here, <laughs> get a couple of years worth of pay. By the time I actually left, which is just over four years ago now, Pluralsight was paying me twice as much anyway. So that the side hustle, like the evening work and the, all that laborious stuff that, that you've done so many times as well, mm. was twice as valuable as the Pfizer job and I got to walk out of there and get paid for it. So at that point, I, you made the decision that I'm going to you know, concentrate on doing Pluralsight full time or did you consider getting another job as well? Never considered getting another yeah. job. Um, <clears throat> It was kind of funny, actually, because you, you get the redundancy and, and they go, oh, you know, we've got these services here to, to help you go and find another job. No, nah, don't worry about it. <laughs> Give it to someone else. I don't want it. Um, so I, like, it was sort of interesting because I, I remember sort of doing the, the sums and trying to figure out, like, okay, well, how much will I make? How long will the money that I got paid last? But I got the income from Pluralsight anyway. And everything that I, I calculated or worked out was completely wrong. It, it was way, way, way too lowballed, <laughs> so, which, which is which is probably the right direction to be wrong in. But uh, yeah, I, I never planned to get another job. I just started signing up to do more conferences and more travel and more events. Uh, started doing workshops as well. So the, the workshops were really based around the material that I'd built for Pluralsight and a lot of the material I'd blogged about. So all of that work started to actually pay off as well. That's one of the benefits, isn't it? You kind of write it once and then you can sort of reuse the, the concept and the material. Yeah, and I think that leverage is really important. So 
even today I, I sort of go okay well every time I do something how can I how can I use it multiple times over uh, so I did the the keynote here yesterday morning and I spoke about the TikTok track watch well mm. you know that was a big blog post that I did uh, just last month and there was a lot of media from that and a lot of exposure and yeah like how can we do this thing once and then just benefit from it over and over and over again yeah I mean, that's something I certainly try and do so reuse content use it in talks workshops yeah yeah and a, a lot of it is a lot of it's sort of evergreen i mean there were things in the talk yesterday that that i'd presented at Prosite live two years ago <laughs> a bit about passwords and things so i yeah i'm, I'm sort of getting good use out of it i guess so as well as doing Prosite, you also run um, another website don't you called have i been pwned L- a little website <laughs> a little, <laughs> little, little website, website yeah. called have i been pwned you know that actually it's it's funny the alexa rankings are a strange thing but for for ages it was like you know a, a top 20,000 website or something and i was like oh wouldn't it be amazing if it got to a top 10,000 and then in january it just got massive amounts of traffic took it up to like the world's 4,300 <laughs> largest oh, wow, okay. website and now very strangely i don't know how alexa figures this out it's like plummeted down to 10 or 11,000 or something uh certainly it's, it's not completely reflective of the traffic but mm. Regardless, yeah, it's actually become a big thing. So just just for our listeners then, what, what is Have I Been Pwned? What does it do? So it's, it's a data breach aggregation service. So when there's a data breach such as LinkedIn or Dropbox or things that many listeners have probably been in and the data gets spread out there around the web, uh, I grab that, I aggregate it, I put it into this service. There's almost 8 billion records in there at the moment. Wow. Uh, and it's it's searchable. So you can go in there and figure out where your exposure is. And I, I built it originally because I thought, look, there's a lot of people out there in data breaches that have probably got no idea that they have been in a breach. And I, I guess to the point of, of leverage and, and using things for multiple purposes, part of it was to build a, a service that people could use, uh, expecting it to be a few of my mates or a few techie people. But part of it also was I wanted to build something big on Azure. Like I wanted to build an application that wasn't just hello world, you know. I wanted to build something that had a lot of data that could be used by a lot of people. So part of that, you know, the sort of the idea of sort of keeping your hand in with software development when you're not actively doing it for your role. It was that too. It it was definitely there was an an itch there that I wanted to scratch because now I was, I'm air quoting this, an architect. (laughs) (laughs) Architects are meant to do UML diagrams and, (laughs) and not actually build code. I was like, no, screw this, man. I like building codes. So, yeah, I, I wrote wrote the code for that. And, and even to this day, I think every single line of code in there was, was written by me or, or someone else's libraries. But, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just been me building it. So is Have I Been Pwned actually a business then or is it uh, more of a just a pet project? It's, it's kind of, again, one of these organic morphing things. So w- what it did at launch in terms of, you know, there's a, free search box on the front page you go and plug your thing in you, know, you plug your email address in get a get a result and then you can sign up and get notified if you're in future breaches all that's yeah. it's still in fact it even still looks the same it's all still identical and then what's happened over time is companies have popped up and said look we'd really like to get access to to this data for other purposes uh, so for example I, I wrote about the first one several years ago as uh, a company uh, called my life which is an identity theft organization. And they said, look, we've got, you know, I think it ended up being about 40 million members. And we would really like to let them know if they're in a data breach, can we get access to the data on a commercial basis? And that was sort of the start of that that, mm. that sort of commercial side of it. So now uh, there's a sort of, I mean, it's not a huge number, it's a double digit number of, of organizations that pay to get access uh, to data. 
and that's either identity theft style companies, a bunch of infosec companies that provide services to their customers, and one of the services they want is to let their customers know when they're in a data breach. Uh, last year, I also put um, put some one password branding on it, so I partnered with those guys to to, to try and drive people towards uh, what has been my favourite password manager for many many years. Mm. Uh, but that's a commercial aspect as well because they get the branding, the exposure right at the time when people most need a password manager. So it's it's kind of by virtue of becoming independently popular as a free service, managed to actually carve out a, a healthy commercial side as well. Okay, so is. So to your general everyday user, the service is free, but then yep. you've managed to commercialise the back end effects of it. Yeah, correct. And I, and I think it's the right things in the right way. I'm pretty happy with the balance. That the, the trick for me has always been how do I how do I ensure the focus remains sort of a, a freely accessible community centric service, uh, whilst at the same time meeting the requests and, and the needs of these organisations, which are also doing really good things with the data uh, and, and obviously making some money out of it. So. You know, if, if you look at the site today, there's there's no buy now or <laughs> anything like that. There's no there's no upsell or direct commercialization, and it's really just organic growth with organisations reaching out and saying, "Hey, look, we'd really like to get access to this or that." Yeah. And at, at the moment, there's there's just a, a big queue of organisations just of their own free volition coming and saying, "Hey, is there any way we can get access to data of our, our customers so we can support them better?" Oh, excellent. So as well as doing that, I mean, you also, I don't know how you find time to do this, but you also work with a mutual friend of ours, Scott Helm, as well. Yeah, yeah. So Scott and I run uh, the Report URI service as well. So we run a a little, little, (laughs) little, we're doing half a billion reports a day, (laughs) like half a billion inbound uh, HTTP requests a day. Uh, But anyway, let's call it little because it doesn't take us a huge amount of time. Uh, So we run a service which allows developers to add uh, security headers to their to their site so things like content security policies and then if the policies get violated the browsers have a, a, a native feature which allows those reports to be or, or the violations rather to be sent via a report um, and we run a service that receives those reports and then aggregates them and makes them searchable by people so this is a tool that's more aimed at sort of software developers yeah correct correct so we're normally speaking to you know fragrance sake it'll, it'll be a bank and the, and the bank says look we would like to uh, we would like to add a content security policy to our site and we'd really like to be able to interpret the reports because that will help us learn things about uh, about the nature of our site and if there's any security vulnerabilities and then we we kind of got this going at a good time because subsequently browsers have come along and added a whole heap of other things um, such as uh, network error logs uh, if, if there's going to be feature deprecations or things like this mm. they can also be sent via reports so report URIs ended up uh, actually collecting a, a very large number of reports for for all sorts of other things so is this something that you work on day to day or is it no. <laughs> no, no, not really. I, I guess that's that's Scott's primary responsibility. My relationship with it, um, I mean, he originally created it some years ago, and then um, I remember he and I were, were sitting in a in a, a pub in Norway a couple of years ago, where we've had many good ideas. <laughs> we're sitting there, and he was he was still in a normal job, and he was sort of saying, "Look, he really wanted to be able to do." Uh, do report your eye full time. He wanted independence in the same way that I had it, uh, but he, he couldn't financially justify it at the time. Yeah. Uh, so he said, "All right, well, what if I what if I invest in report your eye and I'll, I'll put the money in that will allow him to to go independent and focus on that." Uh, actually, you're actually uh, 
investor. So I'm a financial investor, yeah. So yeah, try hunt VC. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a little <laughs> bit like that. It was funny actually because he was speaking with other people and literal other VCs as well, and I was sort of looking at it going. Oh, this, it just feels dirty, <laughs> you know. A lot of the VC stuff feels really dirty. Certainly, the, the discussions I've had with the VCs that have come forward when to put money into have I been pwned as well. It always just feels kind of sleazy. The thing is that they, they have an agenda, don't they? So if if, well, they, if they invest a lot of money, they want you to sell that company in five to seven years. In, in fairness, I'd be quite happy if if we could sell Report URI in five to seven years, as Scott would be as well. Uh, you know, I want to get a return on the money. That was the whole point. But um, it, it was a combination of things for me as well. It's it's like okay, there's I can bring the money, but I can also bring a lot of exposure too. So, you know, I, I certainly talk about Report URI a lot, uh, not just because I've got a financial interest, but I think it's a pretty good service as well. Mm. So for Scott, it was it was a combination of, of the money, the exposure, and, and we do talk a lot about product roadmaps and features and things like that as well. So it's it's kind of nice to be involved in in the project and and not have a sort of a code level responsibility. Uh, I'll have to <laughs> save that for have I been pwned. Yeah. Of course, so it certainly sounds like you're very busy. So do you have, do you have to put much um, focus into marketing for your services these days? Do you have, do you have sort of you know reasonably large Twitter following? Yeah, and you know that that pretty much is the marketing. It's it, it's tweeting. So. I noticed even the uh, the workshop I did here uh, earlier on in the week, looking at some of the, the feedback, people were saying, you know, there's a question in, in the feedback form, like, how do you hear about this? Like, all from Troy's Twitter. So that, that Twitter following has become really powerful. So it's about, I think it's about to hit 130,000 followers at the moment. Nice. Uh, and that's just enormously valuable when I can... I can put out a tweet and it's, you know, it's, it's not going to be 130,000 people that see it, but let's say it's 20,000 people that, that see it. Like that's, that's hugely powerful. I mean, organizations would pay a heap of money just to be able to reach 20,000 people that are interested in the thing that you're doing. I mean, how do you go about physically managing sort of a large following like that? I mean, I've got nowhere near that and I find it irritating the amount of notifications that comes through on it. Yes. <laughs> um, I've really had to adapt as the, the numbers get bigger and, and what adapting means is ignoring a, a lot of stuff if, if I'm honest so I ignore a, a huge amount of the email that comes through I ignore a huge um, number of the mentions I really have to force myself not to engage in a lot of the discussion uh, and that could be either because uh, obviously there's there's some discussions out there that are just not healthy they very um, negative or abusive or, or things like that. So, you know, <laughs> try not to engage in those. There's other discussions that, that just aren't a good return on investment. You know, there, there might be discussions where it's, look, this is going to require multiple tweets and multiple multiple times where I stop doing what I'm doing to focus on this. Mm. And that's just not a good use of my time. And so that, that, Do you find it can be a productivity killer sometimes? Yeah, totally, totally. And that does sound a little bit cold as well, right? It's like, it's not worth my time to talk to you kind of thing. But you, you, you can't scale infinitely, you know? I mean, okay, what happened if, if I had 1.3 million followers instead? Mm. You know, what, what would I do? I'd, I'd have to keep scaling stuff back. Yeah, because you, 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 you have had some negative experiences with Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you want to go into any of them specifically. But oh, boy. Is this a PG-rated, like, a, can children listen to this? You, you, can, you can say what you like. <laughs> you if, can if edit uh, it out. Um, if you accidentally drop an F-bomb, then I... Uh, oh, some it. of us are a lot worse than that, trust <laughs> me. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the 
I think particularly this year, I've, I've just become really conscious that there's a lot of a lot of behaviour on Twitter which is just really negative. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you a, a couple of examples. And it's it's not necessarily abusive. It's it's just things that you just go like, why are you? here hmm. um i got a bunch of stickers recently for have i been pwned because people love stickers uh and it, it, like every time i go to events people are like oh bring the stickers if you got the stickers i need the stickers <laughs> okay that's fantastic it's lovely so i tweet this photo of all these stickers and i had multiple people pop up upset about the environment like one of the comments was you're destroying the great barrier reefs like i'm not sticking them on freaking fish like do not put the have i been pwned stickers on fish or coral okay everyone understand this <laughs> so by the fact that you give out stickers at conferences, yeah. you're being accused of destroying the Great Barrier yes, Reef. Yes, literally talked about the Great wow. Barrier Reef. Other people talked very generally <laughs> about the environment. Uh, I bought a, a new car recently that, that I was really excited about. For, for the car people, I got a, um, uh, an E63 SIMG, which is just an epically fun car. I love this car. It's so nice. And I was really excited when I posted the photos of it. And a lot of people were really excited. And then a bunch of them, again, got upset about the Barrier Reef. <laughs> I'm not driving. Okay, I know what they mean. It's an internal combustion engine. They think I should have got a Tesla or a push bike or something like that. Um, but it is just the, the negativity that came through. And, and what sort of upset me about that is this was clearly something that I was excited about, like with the stickers mm. as well. And people took the time out of their day to tell me how upset they were that, that I was doing this. And the, the thing as well is that, that Twitter and, and being online gives people sort of this, it's almost like a filter where they just, they just become dicks that they would never be in real life. Like I can't imagine any of those people coming up to me at an event like this and saying, you know, you shouldn't buy that car because I don't like the fact it's an internal combustion engine or you shouldn't yeah. get those stickers or things like that. Like, like 90% they of all that. the other cars on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> and look, there's a whole other discussion there yeah, about yeah. EVs and all the rest of it. And, and, and there's very, very valid discussions. And there, there's polite ways of doing it. I mean, if it had a, it'd be different if someone popped up and said, you know, just out of curiosity, well, why would you buy this car instead of a, a Tesla or something? And then I have lots of reasons for that. And we, we'd have a, a polite civil discussion like I would face to face with someone mm. here. But I think it's, um, it's, it's kind of a lack of character as well when people behave that way online where they never would in person. And uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I remember even as a kid, bef before we had online, <laughs> my parents would say to me, like, just don't say things about people that you wouldn't say to their face. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, I'd sort of say the same to my kids now. Like, like, the, my son's nine years old. He's beginning to get online. Uh, you know, don't have a conversation with someone online that you wouldn't have with them in, in real life face to face. So look, I just I just found a, a heap of that on Twitter, um, a heap of really, just like stupid, obnoxious things that are unnecessarily critical. And and Scott Helm and I in particular have just sort of been slapping our heads with this. It's, it's stupid things like he he'd take a photo of oh, he got a new car, took a photo of the car, uh, and because he has a number eight in his number plate and he has an eight on the front and on the back because the number plate they've got to be the same, right? Yeah. He has two eights and the eighth letter of the alphabet is an H. So he has two H's, which is like a white supremacist Heil Hitler. And someone was critical of him someone for that. Someone actually said that? Yeah, someone actually said that, honestly. <laughs> and we're just going, who are these people? <laughs> like, where did this come from? Um, he, yeah. and this is something I've, I've learned, is, is apparently is actually a thing, but he, he had a, a tweet where he had the, the, the okay sign, uh, you know, like the, the O and the, 
like oh, yeah, like, like burn a no with your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Like a OK. AOK sort of thing. And someone said, oh, you, you can't do that. It's a white supremacist sign. He's like, what? Well, I didn't get the memo. <laughs> you know, like, I, why? Really? Um, and apparently it is being misappropriated by some people for that. But what do we do? Like, do, are divers no longer allowed to give the AOK symbol? Yeah. Why are you telling me this? <laughs> I mean, I, I remember having this uh, discussion with Scott uh, back in January when it was all mm. at NDC security in Norway. And, you know, Scott was saying about how Twitter is immensely useful for promotion. Yep. But you, you do kind of get sort of the crazy people coming out of the woodwork. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I've, I've never really put a huge amount of focus into Twitter. I mean, I'm sort of sitting so, here... So I, I know I kind of need to because it's a good way of promotion, but also yeah. I, I just can't be bothered with the, those kind of interactions. I, I think it's a matter of finding the, the right happy ground. And, yeah, I was probably way too active on it before, but because I was so active on it, I, you know, I got a, a good following, which was then leverage for the other things that I yeah. do. Uh, now I've just got to kind of try and find what's the right balance, you know? How do I, how do I sort of not be too active and and burn both my time and my sanity but also keep building that audience because that's a really really again powerful tool to have that many yeah. followers and you find some of these negative people are just trying to leverage the fact that you've got a large following and then trying to effectively use you as a mouthpiece by negatively engaging and sort of trying to push I don't know out views. how conscious it is you know i think sometimes people have got their own agenda some look Sometimes people are just dicks. <laughs> you know, they just want to argue. We had one this week where someone... I, I'd, ma I'd made a tweet somewhere along the lines of Let's Encrypt being the largest, you know, the world's largest CA. Uh, so they're issuing the... So the, CA, that's a... a certificate authority. authority. So yeah, this, this is a, a free, open certificate authority that, that has come along in recent years. And, you know, because they're free and open and, and also because they're decent people behind it, has become enormously popular and they now issue more certificates than anyone else. And someone, like, just wanted to argue, like, what do you mean by the largest? And so, well, they, they issue the most. Could you define this more clearly? And it's, it's just this argumentative backwards and forwards. And even after Scott literally went, okay, here's the numbers. <laughs> yeah. know, this person just wanted to argue about the definition. And it's, look, I, I guess it's, it's also to, to my detriment that I didn't just disengage earlier on as well and, and should have just identified that this is, this is someone who just wants to argue. Just wants an argument. And yeah. again, we'd never do it face to face, I'm sure. But I've got to tune out of that stuff here. Yeah, yeah. a little earlier. Yeah, I mean, we, we released an episode recently all about, uh, well, it was about the book Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport and about how people actually start, you're starting to see a trend now of people actually sort of scaling back from social media, mm. you know, just removing it from mobile devices just so you can't engage yeah. with it all the time. And that's something I've been doing, so I no longer have Twitter and Facebook on my phone. All right, okay. Um, if I want to use it, it's yeah. got to be a conscious decision to do it. So yeah. I, when I'm at the laptop, that's when I'll use it because yeah. I generally can use it for work purposes. There's also self-discipline, yeah. <laughs> which, which granted, I myself am not great at all the time either. Well, it's like, you know, like on, um, on Apple devices, you get those uh, screen time reports. It says yeah. about how many times you pick yeah, your phone. Yeah. I was looking at the numbers on that and thinking, shit, <laughs> <laughs> that's really not good. But it, it, like, this is sort of the, the, the paradox, right? It's, it's like on the one hand, that's, that's kind of negative in those ways. But on, on the other hand, it's, you know, we're, we're sitting here talking to little digital devices and able to run our careers and our lives from our phones uh, mm. from anywhere in the world, which, is, which has been enormously beneficial for me. You know, I mean, I, I now live in a place which, which wouldn't have a, a viable job that I could really travel to each day by virtue of the fact that I, I can be contactable anywhere and yeah. I can work from anywhere. So it, 
again, I think somewhere in there that there's a happy balance, uh, and it's it's probably one that you have to keep adjusting and and sort of reassessing as you go along. Cool. Okay. So um, just before we wrap up, then, so if you if you're going to offer any advice to people listening who are maybe working on you know little side projects that they maybe want to take full time in the future, what advice would you give someone? I, th- I think looking back at it for me over the last ten years, it, it's it's been having a, a number of irons in the fire you know there's a lot of stuff i've done that just hasn't gone anywhere <laughs> it really hasn't worked very well so having a bunch of different things on the go uh which is very taxing time-wise and, and certainly taxing on your, on your sanity sometimes but that's kind of what's worked well for me and then i've just had to figure out what are the things that are really working well and invest in those what are the things that need to, to pivot a little bit and, and what are the things that i just drop altogether? Uh, you know i, I, I dropped a project I, I started very early on uh, all together last year. Uh, it just didn't make sense anymore. But uh, yeah, Have I Been Pwned was just one of those things that I thought I'll, I'll have a bit of a go at and I'll see what happens and here we are. So did you have any kind of idea at the time that it would take off? And no, I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea. Uh, and it, look, it'll be really interesting to see where that goes and maybe to do this again in, in another six months. I think we might have a very dis- different discussion about how successful it's been then. Right. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been been really insightful no Cheers, we, we, we originally tried to record this interview back in january but we ended up going sledging down a hill in no regrets in, in uh no regrets <laughs> in oslo didn't we which is which was really good fun but yeah thanks a lot for that so um what's what's next for you so i'm going to new york tomorrow i think we we, we discussed that going to new york tomorrow uh then i'll go home for a few days and i'm going to go to melbourne do some training for a bank uh got the Oscert conference the week after and then back to europe for four weeks uh for the summer which will be a be a very nice time to be back in europe yeah and then will you get to rest at any point? <laughs> Jeez, I feel like I need this right now, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Maybe I'll have a little lie down this afternoon, that'll, that'll have to last me. <laughs> We're not going to feel too sorry for you, because I've seen where you live on the uh, Gold Coast of Australia. So uh, Yeah, well, this is true also. All those, uh, <laughs> all those pictures on the jet ski. <laughs> yeah, uh, anyway. Well, well thanks I'd... a lot for your time. It's uh, been great. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thank thanks you. Thanks a lot. Okay, bye. Great, so thanks to Troy for doing that interview. I'm trying to get time to sit down with Troy was uh, it's been challenging over the last six months yeah, just because he's yeah, so next. insanely busy I, I was meant to interview him back in January okay and yeah. uh, me Troy and a mutual friend Scott which ended up going sledging yeah, sledging instead yeah <laughs> there's some big hills it, yeah. in Oslo instead yeah I mean it's, it's, it sounded, it's, I mean, I listened to the interview this, this morning it's great he sounds really professional um, his approach is great you know he sounds like a very charismatic guy I can see why he's been so successful the things that he's done yeah, and he yeah, quite frequently keynotes. Well, he actually did the keynote to NDC Minnesota, which is quite good. Yeah, yeah, sounds, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, um, doing that. yeah I mean, he's had amazing success, you know, which I'm, you know, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So he's, you know, started off as a Pluralsight author and has released many, many courses on there and sort of really sort of carved himself into the security niche. Niche, yeah. Yeah, I think you said he's really dominated that, that, that niche. Plus, the uh, Have I Been Pwned service as well is doing really well. Yeah, you said, yeah, how, yeah, I mean, it sounds like the technology is really useful, isn't it, to have that kind of... <laughs> Annoyingly, I keep getting emails from it saying that I'm in a data breach. Oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> I, quite I, I don't look, to be honest, they said that, I don't look. It's, it's definitely worth signing up for, so it's, it's quite simple, you just sign up with your email address, and if there's any large data breaches, like the LinkedIn data breach, for example, oh, okay. if your email address appears in any of their breaches, you'll, oh, okay. you'll get a notification from your service, and it just means you can go and make sure all your passwords are changed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is uh, quite cool. And he's also got an API as well, where... Um, you know, lots of companies can integrate in with the API. So as you're signing up for things and you're putting passwords in, it will tell you if those passwords 
Oh, okay, yeah. Of being open, including oh, nice. other breaches. Yeah. But, it, but it does it in a clever way using a system called K-anonymity, which means he never actually sees your password as you type it in. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so that's clever. It's probably too clever much detail stuff. to go into how it works here, but rest assured, if you're typing your password and it goes into his API, he never actually sees the password. It's mm. some clever hashing technique. Oh, okay, yeah, that sounds really clever, yeah. That's probably too much detail for what we want to go into. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, nice guy. Um, doing really well for himself. I mean, I think large majority of our listeners from the software space are going to be familiar with Troy. Yeah, no, it was, it was, a, it was a really great interview, actually. Uh, you, um, you quite often see him popping up on the news in the, in the US. He's, I think he's been on the BBC News a few times. Oh, okay, yeah. As, yeah. The, as the resident Some expert that gets expert, called up. Yeah. So, yeah, so thank you very much to Troy. Yeah, thank you, Troy. Great, so uh, just before we sign off then, have you got many things coming up? Uh, not really, obviously we, we just launched the Flitchbeam calculator, um, so we're just sort of looking at sort of feedback on that. Um, the thing I bought recently, I, bought, I don't mentioned in a previous episode, I bought a mountain bike, so I'm trying to get back into mountain biking. Okay. Doing a bit more, so um, I'm just getting trained a little bit because there's a, there's a guy across the road who's like ultra fit and he wants to go to Canuck Chase and go riding around there, so it's like a, a track in, in sort of the middle of some of these West Midlands of the UK and it's uh, yeah, it's going to be quite a challenge so I'm looking to sort of try and get semi-fit before I go. Um, I'm, I'm not very good on bikes. <laughs> no, it's, it's quite punishing yeah that's I think it's like I can't remember it must be like it must be like over 20 miles so it's going to be a good old it's going to be a good challenge I think. Well when I was in Oslo last um, summer they had those bikes that you can hire with an app oh, okay, to, to get cool, around yeah. the city yeah, so yeah. Sort of me, Troy, Scott and a few others were Hiring these bikes, much to my dismay, because I'm not very fit. Oh uh, yeah, I've seen them in Derby recently. They've got these. So, so they're, they're all like bombing off up these bloody hills, and I'm like sort of sweating to death and about <laughs> to collapse in a heap behind them. Yeah, I think if we do a bit, I guess these guys probably ride a bit, do they? Not at home or? Well, they're certainly a lot fitter than I am. And, and Troy, very annoyingly, was navigating. He took us all up this massive, uh, bloody, bloody great big hill, yeah. and when we got to the top of the hill, it was like. Oh, actually, we need to be down there. <laughs> you probably don't see the hills on, on a plan, do you? you don't, yeah, you don't I, think, I think Troy remembers the look I gave him at the time. Yeah, I oh, know. <laughs> that sounds brutal, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I've been busy busy with that, doing a bit, and just, just generally keeping on. Uh, still talking to lots of customers, keeping really busy. So, yeah, so for me at the moment, I've just got through a, a massive batch of conferences. So I've got a bit of time, not, not time off, but time off from conferences and traveling, yeah. which is really nice. So I'm working on a new Pluralsight course on leadership styles. That's going really well. I'm hoping to have that done soon. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I was really motivated after going to Pluralsight Live because we had a big author summit, which is where you know, a lot of authors got together and we was, you know, the company was sharing you know future projections and plans with us, which is all really motivating. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. And so uh, all the authors that are there are now like tromping at the bit just to get more content out. Oh, so they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're expecting you to produce more than are there in terms of... Well, it's not that they're expecting us to produce more, you know, we want to produce more because it will directly be good for us. Um, yeah, yeah, I suppose it's mutually beneficial, isn't it? So I'm trying to get as much of that done as I can at the moment. So. Yeah, I will have to do. We'll have to do a talk on leadership. Um, that could be kind of interesting talk mm. for the future, actually, because it's something I'm looking more at. Obviously, as as we grow the products and the team, you know, so it's something I want to to get into at some point in the future. Yeah, so the course I'm doing is on leadership styles and the importance of adapting styles. So you might have a dominant style that you have with a team, but it's all about being able to read the situation and read what's going on and adapting your style accordingly. Okay, yeah. yeah that's so it's things like, you know, if you're running an agile team, you might tradition, well, you might typically be a servant leader, but then if you have to discipline someone or manage someone out, then you go to more of a directed or transactional leadership style. Okay, so yeah. It's all about how to assess a situation and then... What, what styles you can use and, and what benefits yeah, are. Sort of change your approach based upon what's happening or... Yeah, so it's pretty cool. So I'm 
putting lots of uh, personal stories and anecdotes in the course as well. Oh, cool, yeah. Because yeah. of, uh, you know, both good and bad. So I'm talking about some of the things that I've screwed up in the past as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. It'll probably hopefully people can uh, learn from it. So, okay, with that, uh, we'll see you all next time. Okay, see you then. Okay, bye. bye.